Hello and welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, author of How to Start a Side Hustle and resident business coach, serving you straight up business advice to help you start, grow and scale the business of your dreams. Welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, resident business coach here and author of How to Start a Side Hustle. And on today's episode, I get to speak to the incredibly talented, humble and inspiring creative artist and human. And her name is Evie O. You might know her work through Evie O's studio, a design studio that she started off the back of losing her job as a designer of almost eight years and Evie shares incredible insight. She recently spoke at Semi-Permanent, Creative Mornings, the Design Conference, has amazing knowledge and insights, shares very generously and humbly about everything that it takes to leave your job or to be fired from your job and to go out on your own and what she has learnt along the way from pricing, attracting her ideal clients, being able to push her design style and challenge herself uh, with clients and their brief and how do you kind of manage the two of those as well as finances and pricing, building a creative team, working through COVID, having some failures and figuring it out along the along the way. She's also a self-taught artist and shares a lot about that process and some incredible tips and advice for anyone who might be looking to turn their art into a viable business. She is self-taught and then is now represented uh, by by a Sydney company um, and also uh, a agency in New York. So very talented. Everything she does is incredible. Definitely check out our Instagram. I'm no doubt you'll find some of the most beautiful, inspiring favorite books on there. If it looks good, Evie's probably designed it. Um, so amazing episode, absolutely like a masterclass in a creative looking to turn their passion and art into a viable business. She's done it and she teaches you how to do it. So enjoy the episode and don't forget to check out her work. Welcome to the podcast, Evio. Lovely to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me, Kay. Like um, finally with yeah. here. <laughs> Classic of just, I think we met at the Creative Mornings. I saw you talk there and then at Semi-Permanent more recently and yeah, the creative lifestyle that, you know, juggling lots of things and personal health and <laughs> taking on lots <laughs> of work and jobs. But uh, yeah, lovely to have you. I'm actually just looking at that Future of Fungi book that you designed in the back of your video there. One of my favorite books. It's like my go-to coffee table book. Oh, fantastic. And actually, funnily enough, I mean, publishing is so small, but I've seen, I've seen your book around everywhere. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to join the club and, um, you know, I guess discuss what does it mean to be a creative, um, entrepreneur? Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, feelings mutual. And I'd love to kick off with, um, yeah, your, I guess, creative journey and where you started and how you got into it. So, read online that you're self-taught well i'm a self-taught artist i actually went to design school um i I guess i was quite lucky in the way that i i I knew i wanted to do or dwell in creative world since i was quite young well and i say when i was quite young it's like when you're 16 and 17 and you know you're like what do i do do i take a gap year do i um jump into uni and if i do what would I study? Because and and I think a lot of young people don't necessarily know what they want to do then. Um, and for me, it was very clear. And um, I studied um, visual communication um, in UTS um, Sydney, majoring in illustration and animation, and obviously graphic design. So it was a lot of kind of like um, it, it's like a tasting platter. And I was like, oh, this is how it feels to practice this and that like obviously you got out of uni with a lot of conceptual studies that I still think um, 
were too much for me at that age. Like I was, you know, 21. I didn't grow up in Australia. And the whole thing was kind of like, I feel like they're only setting in now. Mm. <laughs> um, but like um, as well with university, um, I wasn't, we wouldn't um, train nine to five to, you know, do the practical stuff. So um, I had to learn a lot of things on the go post uni like mm. on the jobs and stuff and and um and yeah and we got lucky again um that um at the time I was graduating there was a job opening at Penguin Books and I got a role. I got a mm. junior role. So um that's another story because the yeah. role that was posted was actually a midway position. Um yeah. and I was um freelancing for a week um there you know, responding to another job post. Um, yeah. And I was hired as a freelance illustrator. And then I saw the job post and I um, applied anyway, even though I knew I was way under the um, Like, you know, I wasn't there yet. And um, the art director kindly opened a junior role for me. I didn't know mm. that until later. I was like, oh, I got the job. Wait, the contract said a different title. I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. And we'll definitely dive into that. My first question for you, because I know that I think a lot of people either figure this out later down the track or, you know, are battling with it now. Was was there ever any um, pushback or, you know, expectation of you to not go into the arts and to get a real job? A hundred percent. I grew up <laughs> in a classic Asian family in Indonesia as well. Mm-hmm. And um even now, like, I don't think, like, I mean, there are arts industry, like art industry and design industry there, but it's still quite, you know, it, it's still outside the norm. And um, mom, mom was not, like, okay with the fact that <laughs> maybe my daughter would never make a living. Um, yeah. she, none, none of my... Um, family member were creative but like my grandma was like oh let the let the girl do whatever he she wants to do um and and th- and I was quite stubborn um I've always been a stubborn kid and I was mm-hmm. just like this is what I want to do yeah mm-hmm. do or die <laughs> yeah, yeah there are pushbacks but like that doesn't mean that you know it will be the yeah. worst scenario yeah yeah I mean look at you now running your own studio which is amazing <laughs> Um, and my other question there, because I think it's really interesting, is that idea of the confidence. I mean, maybe it's the stubbornness you just talked about, but pitching yourself for a job that you weren't qualified for or, you know, finding ways to get into a company like Penguin that could give you, you know, a leg up or an opportunity to kind of prove yourself and get a bit of skin in the game. What's your kind of tips or advice or how did you go about that? Right. Um, I actually was discussing this about a day ago with a bunch of um, UNSW graduates that were about to graduate. Um, um, and, and one of the questions they asked was like, um, do you think it's important to have, a, um, you know, to have work for someone before you start your own creative practice? And I truly think so. But I also want to acknowledge that the time has changed. Like um, even even like take penguin as a as an example when i was when was that that was like maybe 2008 is that correct <laughs> yeah i think it was 2008 like they had a design um team of 15 ranging from art director senior midweight and junior and that whole ecosystem were created so you know there's a regeneration of talents um even though it was so small like and but it was still the biggest um publishing design studio in the whole country and um i stayed in the company for eight and a half years and by then there were only like i don't know like half of us and the structure has changed and it turned into more of a you know churning out um kind of like a business team rather than um you know a, a, a team that has other values in a way because like I guess like with that in mind I think for the younger generation it's probably a bit trickier to find the right home or like mm. your first home that will allow you to kind of like you know have space to learn or like being pushed to the 
you know, deep in, but, you know, with some safety nets and um, yeah. learn those skills because um, in publishing alone, I don't know who else is doing that, but our studio. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, it's, I, yeah, it's interesting because I think that's, you know, it it's almost like on social media, I think, or, you know, we look at, yeah, people who are out on their own and it's just like, oh, yeah, I could do that. And, but I'm interested to hear, like, what were some of the skills, I guess, that you learned through, you know, Penguin or, you know, your time to, that set you up to be able to transition and like, you know, we'll talk about yes. the transition and stuff later, but what, yeah, what were some of those things, I guess, that were vital for you that you had to learn that, you know, couldn't be done in school and had to be done in an organisation? So I think um, the the important things that I have learned, like, of course, like garnering your creative factors, like you do get that juice by being um, surrounded by other creatives. So that will, like, you will learn just by being surrounded by people. But then, like, like I think the most um, important things I have learned from working in the corporation is, like, how economy works, like, mm. you know, the business side of things, um, how to negotiate, how to run a contract, um, how to um, convince people. So a lot of that, like, kind of people skill mm. um I had to do a lot because, like, I guess um, as a designer, we weren't just designing. We were also taking care of our authors uh, mm. and, you know, we would talk to printers. And um, and so it's it was very, very stimulating for, for me um, to be part of that conversation because I also, like, I learned the trade, I learned the art, and I, I was just, like, growing as a, you know, as a member of the society I would say yeah. more than anything <laughs> yeah I mean it's that yeah. um yeah going in the deep end and learning in the pressure cooker of like yeah expectations and also representing such a big agency like a big company with such a, a prominent name in the industry as well I mean like a lot of people yeah. thought that all I did was designing this um, orange covers <laughs> that was hilarious <laughs> well you wouldn't have wouldn't have done much growing with that template <laughs> I mean, in terms of branding, like that, you look at that though from like a branding, right? And it's like, how well have they done as a representation of it? And like, I often, when I, I mean, I've always loved books and, you know, you see a lot more of it now, but years ago, I would um, think, I I think it's very common now. And I think you do a lot of this in your work is like, you know, as a style of book cover. And it's like, there's so many books that, I've loved over the years but like cringe to have on my bookshelf because of how ugly they are you know (laughs) and I've always seen the need for you know if this only had a you know a better wrap around it how much it would attract more sales and yeah it's so funny you said that I have this books in kindle form so I do have to like show it on on the shelf it doesn't exist physically in my world (laughs) yeah (laughs) I would never allow it (laughs) um and so um what was it like in in that space I guess like mentors and feedback and growing for you because I know you know I think as I imagine starting out you know we all do somewhere but you know if you are in that junior role and obviously built your your way up over the eight years and being able to go out on your own what were some of the, you know, mentors or feedback or how did you go about, I guess, you know, was it setbacks or, you know, ways that you failed or had, you know, people, you know, push you to be better and grow through like a, some of the hard parts? Yeah, uh, that's, that's a really good question because I've been pondering upon this a little bit because like I guess if you are a creative person, I feel like your growth can only be measured by yourself. Like. Yes, in the corporation, like, you know, I went from junior to midway to senior and then the letter just kind of stopped there. But it didn't mean that I stopped growing and I quickly realized um, that a title is a title and it doesn't matter, you know, what, I mean, it it does matter if you're like, um, you know, if you want to exist in that world. But also I think people around you, realize how you grew and I think I was very lucky um the team that I was um working in it was a very supportive team um 
it was female-led um, by one of the, I guess, publishing legend, Julie Gibbs. Um, and if I, you know, if I may be very um, blatant about it as well, like we were um, purely designing for her imprint. And in terms of creativity, it was actually quite limiting because we are designing one style. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not one style, but like, you know, for a certain market and there were no space to explore creative ways and that's why I started doing art but we can talk about that later but like um, I I see a lot of this struggle about progress um, for creatives and, and, and let's talk about designers um, within the designer scope like as soon as they get to midwife or actually senior what to do next mm. you know like do you just jump around um, to a new agency with a you know with a better um, client quote mark and and I feel like I have seen um, a few designers feeling not lost but kind of like questioning you know what is what is this skill that I have like is it just a way for um, you know the businesses I work for to turn money out like and then like as a creative sometimes it can be very demeaning because like all of a sudden like you feel like you're stuck and then, like, what do you do next? And mm. I did feel that um, in Penguin. And I did tell my bosses. And I did try to jump ship, <laughs> you know, super big fail. Because I, I just, I'm, I'm too I'm too honest. And I told my boss. And they're like, no, don't go. I'm like, okay, I won't go. But how, mm-hmm. you know, what, what else can you teach me? Because I've stopped feeling challenged within mm-hmm. this role. I don't care about the title. But, like, teach me something more. And, um that was like maybe like the last two years of my time there. And my men, um, my boss was like, all right, well, what do you want to be mentored in? Let's do a, um, a meeting once every fortnight. Bring me, you know, bring your own homework and I will, you know, coach you. So that was really amazing. And, um, at that time as well, I was working with a lot of, um, really interesting, um, authors like, um, Marion Sheeran from T2 and like, you know, like, Making is very intimate and can be very intense. I ended up like spending a lot of time with authors who I admired, you know, for th- different things, whether it's their creative practice or like their business practice. And I kind of learned a lot from those people. And I'm, you know, forever grateful that I had that mm-hmm. time. And without being a part of that corporation, I wouldn't be exposed to those, ex- you know, to those people. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a benefit, right, of going to a corporation and being like, you know, yeah. leveraging what they can bring. And I think it's really important for, you know, designers and artists to realize that there's some there's sometimes there's more than money it's you know yeah who, the jobs that you get to work on and you know the people you're introduced to and the you know I guess the leverage of yeah their company name to you know your yeah. being able to challenge you on jobs that you maybe wouldn't get straight away out on your own mm. yeah I mean obviously um, I was very nice then and I wasn't thinking that part but reflecting back yeah. oh yeah yeah, those times were awesome. <laughs> yeah, really. Sorry. And was yeah. there things during that time that you were doing, you know, for yourself? Like obviously, yeah, I think it doesn't matter. You know, we often start out in careers that we love designing and, you know, whatever that is. And But then it can also be like, well, at the end of the day, I'm still going to a nine to five. Is there, you know, when that stagnant kind of stuckness kicked in, was there creative practices outside of work or things that you were able to do to kind of keep your creative juices alive? Um, yes, yeah, so that's that's actually like, so when was that? Like maybe about six years in, five years in, I felt like, okay, like I can't do all the projects. It's pretty much eyes closed. Yeah, there are mm. bigger projects than others. But um, that's when I started feeling like I need more. I need more challenges. Mm. And, um, and I don't think it would have come from a different job and I probably didn't want it to come from a different job because I loved my job so much um and then I thought what else could I do um and I realized I can draw quite well by then but they're all in black and white mm-hmm. and I thought okay maybe it's time to kind of just like play with color so um I just went to the art shop and bought some paints and started doing mini mini studies like a6 size studies um and I was doing them for like I guess two years just by myself when I have time and I got really good at color and it felt really like 
good, I guess. Like even though I wasn't really planning on being an artist or anything, like mm. I said, oh yeah, I've, I've learned this new skill that I could apply to my day to day job. Um, but of course, it um, you know, it didn't stop there because I started putting it on Instagram. Mm. <laughs> I love that. I love it that. What I love about that is that it's. You know, I think sometimes we also, as um, creatives, there's sometimes feels a pressure to make things and then have to monetize it straight away. And I think, I, yeah, it's really nice to hear that, you know, playing with it without the pressure of anything or an expectation and just doing it for your own creative practice on the side for two years um, and then allowing that to, like, you know, unfold without too much commercial pressure. Yeah. Mm. What was the, what, and, and- what happened once you put it on Instagram? Um, um, a friend, uh, a curated friend, um, Amber Creswell Bell, um, she wasn't much into the art industry back then. Now she's like a household name, but he was like, Oh, I want to do this group show. Do you want to do, um, a few pieces? And I'm like, sure. Um, and I did take two weeks off work to produce 10 paintings and I was just painting it, you know, at my apartment. Basically nobody could come to that apartment for, <laughs> you know, for two weeks because it was so messy. <laughs> um, and I sold almost all of them, if not all of them. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that is demand. And um, and Amber's like, okay. And then what happens next was um, St. Cloche Gallery open. Or I think I think Amber did a group show. Yeah, we did a group sh- another group show in Saint Cloche, and um, I met Kitty Wong, who also wasn't in um, arts industry then. Like she just left her work from um, Gucci. She was a buyer for Gucci, so she's got like amazing taste. But she and the two of us were really kind of connected um, because we both felt like you know what are we doing? We do not we do not really know what we're doing. And we ended up like going out um, to art shows and, you know, art fairs and we kind of became buddies and she kind of was championing my practice as well. And because I think she really saw my um, insecurity around it as well. Because like I, I, I didn't even want to call myself an artist at that point, even though like, yeah, I exhibited. But like, because mm-hmm. um, I knew myself that I wasn't dead yet. Mm. Um, and I like, and she kept, you know, like luring me, um, let's do a solo show. And I'll be like, no, let's do a solo show. No, she managed to get me into a duo show. And then like, um, 2019, oh, sorry, 2018, she was like, um, so I'm going to go to Sydney Contemporary. And I think her gallery was running for three years or four years then. I'm like, I'm going to bring my, um, my group show do you want to be in? And I'm like, sweet, of course. That's like the, you know, that's one of the biggest stages in town. Um, and then um, she was advised by someone that a group show wouldn't be a good, you know, a good thing to present yourself in the first place because it's not like holy or something. Um, and then it quickly turned into a duo and then a solo. And I was like, wait, did you just trick me into <laughs> doing this? <laughs> And she's like, no, 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 it's like purely because, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, um, I was quite like scared, but also like excited because it's really like, you know, like I've got a whole room in Cabbage Works to fill with art. And of course I said like, let's just fill the room with art, you know, floor to ceiling. And um, we, I produced 39 paintings and she sold 33 of them. Wow. by the end of the fair and it was just like whoa and and that really gave me a confidence boost like I know I mean I I, I would be just happy making art without having that commercial mm. success but it does give you some mm. confidence yeah so, yeah like putting yourself out there is is always a good thing isn't it yeah for sure sometimes I mean, <laughs> there's two really interesting questions I have for you is um yeah. One is, do do you think that art is resonates differently when there is no pressure or expectation? So like that, yeah, we, I just, I'm doing this thing and I'm not an artist, but I'm just enjoying this process that happens to be unfolding and people are liking it. So I'm just like kind of following that thread. Do you think that it holds a different resonance where, 
you know, like it, it's it's a weird question, yeah. but like, you know, like an energy yeah. that it holds, oh, thank you, you know? I think it's a really good question because I think um, to be a successful artist, and when, when I say successful, it's like you're selling work, people know who you are, um, you know, like you have to do more than just create the work, right? Like you have to present yourself well, you know, like you, you have to have a good Instagram page. And like these days, even in publishing or in art, people would be like, how many followers do you have? And I'm like, oh my God, really? Is that really, you know, like, have we really reduced ourselves to that? And and it's it's very hard because I have seen um, really prominent artists who's like probably not in the social media generation having like not that many followers and like publishers will be like, but they don't have a following. And I'm like, you do not understand. Like you can't use that as your only measuring tool. And I think... A lot of people forget that um, Instagram is not everything. Not just Instagram. Social media is not everything. It is something, but it's not everything. But um, back to your question, um, I think there is something about, you know, having been given, like having someone chasing you to produce work and producing yourself. Like so far, I have managed to kind of protect my art practice from that like um I don't rely on my art practice to pay my bills so I can do whatever I want I can produce a show whenever I want I mean having been represented by um, by galleries they do ask you know and check check in with you let's do this but um I have been very stubborn on that end like if I don't want to do it I just won't do it they, do, mm. they, they would understand that and they would respect that um and I think it is nice to have someone kind of like pushing you on that commercial side as well. I mean, not commercial side, but like, you know, moving yeah. your work, connect, connecting your work with audience. Because uh, even though, you know, I do love connecting to my own people, um, but also that's a lot of work. And sometimes maybe I just prefer mm-hmm. to be a hermit and in my dungeon. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and, then- yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, I mean the other thing around that is like, yeah, do you think your art would it would it would be different if or received differently or, you know, your you know, desire to take two weeks off and work on something or, you know, say yes to the solo show if it was like dependent on your commercial um, you know, success? Of course. You'll be freaking out by now if that's the just like the reality of art um business is that you in any business, actually, you, you kind of have to pay first and then, mm. you know, it's up to the world to respond mm. and, you know, value your work in whichever way they want to perceive and value your work. So, mm. but I think the difference between, like, say, art and design with design is pretty clear. You know, it's a mm. surface, um, mm. even though we do the work first, for example, we know we will get paid at the end of the day. So in a way, it's very, it's, it's less risky that, and mm. art is very risky in that end. And if you're only, um, relying, um, on exhibitions or selling work, um, like selling original work, it's 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 a tough game. Mm. And I always um, I have this conversation nonstop with my friend David um, Esquivel, another artist, a US artist, and um, I always told him to not just do art because mm. you know you're doing it really tough. And then mm. at the same time, I'm like, oh, I wish I could do art full time sometimes. <laughs> but then like. <laughs> the reality is like I love design so much. Yeah. Um, I can't drop mm. it. Yeah. I like the I like the phrase you used before about protecting your art because I think, yeah, there's something that is, you know, creating for the sake of creating. And, you know, I think it has to, and even in my businesses, you know, if I'm coming up with a new course or, you know, a an event series or, you know, a podcast episode or whatever, it's often from the place of whenever I've, you know, tried to like rush it and do it few like oh this would be a good commercial idea like I should do it it doesn't um you know it, it's there's been times where it's fallen on its face because it's like almost like you you know you tell someone you're going to do something and and sell it and you know gauge that interest before you've actually created the thing and I've learned of like sitting and creating something that's like you know I can sit down and go you know what's the research what's the meaningful 
why does this need to exist and like really get clear about excited about writing the content and you know passionate about why people need it and it's solving a problem and then it it does its own it sells itself because it's got like a purpose and a meaning to it rather than being like yeah I should put on a show because you know I need to make money or whatever you know um yeah and, yeah. and I think the audience feels it as well right like right. Um, it's it's actually that transparent like people can see through things and mm. you know yeah momentum We're, is perhaps different for everyone and don't let others kind of set your momentum I guess because mm. we all work differently but it's really hard like we when you know like I, I feel like often again with social media you end up like comparing yourself with others mm. and yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, definitely yeah. don't do that. And it's, yeah, it's easy because you don't see what's going on behind the scenes, you know, how hard people are working or, you know, how long it took them to get that idea to where it is today. Um, you know, yeah. you, you painted in for two years as a, you know, a passion thing. So um, my other question just to finish that off was the person who was like, yeah, I'm going to put this, you know, solo show on and like tricked you into it you know, when you were like, oh, I'm not ready to call myself an artist and got tricked into it. Do you think that, you know, there's a tipping, there's a, there's a perfect point where you have to, you know, kind of get pushed out of your comfort zone to get over the line or you end up, you know, in your, oh, once I'm perfect as an artist or once I feel like an artist, then I'll put on a show? Yeah. And I think, um, back to my, um, first point today, it was like, I think, I think, and this is a an advice that I've been told by it really different. You know when when you know and mm. you can fake it, but you know when you have done the work, when you have reached mm. that level, when you personally know that you're good enough to call yourself whatever or to kind of like graduate from whatever challenge mm. you set upon yourself. And I think um staying through to yourself makes the whole journey more um nice mm. it's, it's not like you're putting any other people's um you know rules around your own journey and mm. yeah and it, it mm. doesn't matter if you know if I got represented or not and if you know all I cared about and and still to today with my design practice as well like all I care about is making good work and mm. I think that has taken me to places that I didn't think would take me Mm. I love that because it segues into outgrowing Penguin and going out on your own. What was that kind of tipping point? When did you know you were ready to start your own studio and, you know, yeah, leave the safety of this company and do it for yourself? Well, um, unfortunately, <laughs> I lost my job. <laughs> So Penguin, um, Penguin and Penguin Books and Random House merged globally, and they, you know, they became the biggest um, publishing house in the Western world. But of course, with merger comes, um, I guess, with acquisition comes review, and um, our division wasn't um, viable enough for the new model. Which was heartbreaking. Not not because like you know losing the job was hard. Yes, but I was what I was like twenty nine then. I knew I would be fine. Um, but it was like the disbanding of this beautiful team, mm. a very tight knit team, and you know we weren't ready for that. So that was that was the emotional part. Mm. And um, and then what happened was um, I knew I wanted to keep doing books. But I don't know if there's any other um, company I wanted to work for. And so I jumped into a um, a quick business. Um, basically, me and my friend, Daniel, um, who sat next to me for 10 years, we, we were like, yeah, let's, let's start a business together. And it failed in eight months because we quickly realized we wanted different things. Um, but that was okay too because I think like that, you know, together and it's like that business with our safety net going out into the big world. And so, you know, eight months we said, yeah, I want this, I want that. 
So let's was this just were you guys flip a doing coin. books? Were you publishing books? Yeah, we we were doing books, but I knew I knew it wasn't enough for me. And like um, during that eight months, a lot of like um, opportunities outside books came, and I got really excited about it and felt really challenged. And I knew to do this more of those. I will have to create a team and it wasn't what he wanted. He wanted to kind of like stay true to the practice and do it himself. And he's still mm-hmm. doing that. And I was like, well, maybe it's time to part. And we flipped a coin on the expensive scanner and I won it. And I was so stoked about that. <laughs> I love that as a business uh, business plan negotiation <laughs> style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, so we broke up. Um, that was fine. And um, I then um, swapped my desk in Surrey Hills for a room in Maddoxville because mm-hmm. Brent was much cheaper here. 16-meter squared room, three empty desks. And I'm like, oh, gosh, this is it. What am I going to do? But, like, you know, like, I, I, it, it, it was... It started on a good ground because I had that eight months of setting up in a way. Mm. And I had, you know, Daniel by my side, even mm. though, you know, we weren't working well together, but, you know, he was there. Yeah. That was good. No, I yeah. love that. I mean, it's nice. It's good to hear that, you know, like it's the, you, you go out and you, you know, give it a crack and then it's also okay that it doesn't work and you can dissolve and go your separate ways. What was, I mean, in terms of, because I think, there's such a big question mark or a scary side to going out on your own and, you know, people want all of the answers and everything in place and, you know, like we really, I think as humans, we're wired for the known and someone telling us that it's going to be okay and at the end of the day you have to tell yourself that. But what is, um, was there, like, did you just like hit the ground running networking or calling people that you knew or what was your kind of strategy to like, I guess, you know, convince yourself that you were going to be okay and that it was going to work? What um, did you put in place? Yes. Yeah, so, so I knew that I knew that I had something, like, you know, my design skills were a commodity. I knew that. So that was good. Um, and because there were only me to start with, there wasn't much mouth to feed. There was only one. Um, mm. And I, I remember... Um, I got a whatever payout I got from Penguin after, mm. you know, eight and a half years. It's not that much, but like mm-hmm. it's still something. And I remember telling myself, if I ever hire someone, that is what, you know, like I guess like with a service business, the work and the people are the commodities in a way. We're looking at it as an economy thing. And I always set aside that money, not to pay myself, but to ensure that I could pay my employee or like my team and um and that was that that was the scariest thing actually like growing a team um in the first year because like i i was we were quite lucky that um jobs came to us and i guess mm-hmm. with publishing it, it, it even though it's a it seems like a big industry it's actually quite small mm-hmm. but um what was interesting was um i realized if i relied on australian publishing alone I wouldn't be able to do this. And um, one UK job came and it was um, through, through a publisher called Kate Pollard with really close friends now. And she saw what I, you know, what I could do. And she's like, let's work together. And one book turned into two, two turned into four. And um, just to give you like a context of time as well, a book takes about a year from making to being published. So like, um, the business growth was actually quite slow in that, like, you know, we'll work on something, we'll see it out in the market one year later, and then people start seeing, and the more you do, the more jobs came in naturally and organically through, um, and, and this was happening in the UK, not in Australia. Mm. We actually don't work with too many Australian publishers here because, like, there is a difference in taste and positioning of products. And, <laughs> and you know, like, I, I think it's good to understand this kind of thing. Um, yes. <laughs> Love it. I mean, I yeah. think it speaks to you saying you, you just wanted to do good work, you know, and you wanted to be challenged. And yeah. I think it's, it's really yeah. smart to hear, you know, looking outside. Because I think, you know, I know that you've done a bit of travel and you've got representation in, in New York for your art and things like that as well. And it's like, I think as Australia, every time I go overseas, I realise how small it is here and, you know, it, it, 
it you forget when you're you know it's almost when you're in the fish tank you forget that you're in the fish tank <laughs> and until you leave and you go oh it's really small pond and as a result over time you end up thinking smaller because that's yeah. what you're surrounded by and you you have to pull yourself out yeah and look outside of you know what's possible yes mm. that that is very true mm. and I, I also think I want to add to that as well in that like I think given where we are um and and the way I think society is moving um forward I think everyone in Australia should not think to just focus locally unless your work is you know has to be done locally mm. like you know if you're uh, if you're building houses mm. and even then you can still build houses overseas like mm. <laughs> so, yeah. like um yeah. i think it, it, it's nice to to see how other people do work as well and mm. sometimes maybe um if you feel like you're not fitting well in australia but you love living in weed what do you do and that's what i kind of did mm. with my creative practice i mean in design like I wanted to do stuff for another region because yeah, mm. that's what I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then so what was the kind of timeline, I guess, from, yeah, just you at the company and, you know, getting a few few of those jobs off the ground to what was, you know, yeah. the milestones of growing to your team to where it is today? Um, the milestones were quite um, slow if you compare, you know, my growth to other people's growth because I – I always prioritize um, security for whoever's in the team. Like, I, I'm not hungry enough to just like, yeah, let's just get all these jobs and fulfill them because I knew it was just going to kill mm. myself and everyone. But, like, I have to say, setting up a business was very hard. Like, in the first two years, three years even, because, you know, like, I've never had to hired someone let alone build a team let alone know how to I don't know do taxation and like all the boarding stuff mm. like that and I'm obviously I'm not that I wasn't that interested in it but I had to do it so mm. um I called upon a lot of help like you know I have a very good accountant I have a very good lawyer um I you know Commonwealth and NAB bankers became my best friends. You know, mm. sort me out, man. Like, what, what are we going to do? Um, and like, I guess, like, I was forced to understand, you know, things like cash flow and all that stuff. And um, it's good to also, like, like as a business owner, it's, you know, like, you must, you must deep dive into the nitty gritty. Like, like I told myself, if I could do all of the roles that are needed in this business, if someone got sick or something happened, the business would not crumble and hence everyone's lives are safe. So, so that is that. But like um what I was what I didn't realize we needed was system. I mean I'm I'm a very disorganized person in terms of like, you know, my desk is messy and I don't work in a linear way. And I think um reflecting back, it would have been good to have that for especially um the younger designers that have joined our team because it could be chaotic like for me it's natural but mm. it's not it's not how everyone works and I think I got really interested in perfecting that um mm. over time and like creating a work workspace that caters for different type of personalities and different type of work um work modes I guess and um and then um we quickly grew from to me and um, Susan, our current art director, who's been here since day one, um, to like seven during COVID, like it was nuts and things were so chaotic. <laughs> and it was partly my fault, you know, like I was just like, we just have to get this work done and there was no process. And I think, um, yeah, everyone was thrown in the deep end. And after that, I quickly realized, okay, I'm burning. I was burn, burning out. I was, you know, trying to do everything, you know, creative directing, running accounts, running business. And I was just like, if I have to do this again next year, I don't know if I could do it myself. Like I was just like, this is bad. And luckily, my best friend, Pamela, um, who I knew since she, you know, we were six years old, 
um, was doing a career change because she just had a baby. She wasn't sure if she wanted to stay in education. And I'm like, why did she help me? And, you know, because she, she, she was excellent at, you know, people managing people, but also at project managing. And I'm like, this could be it. And we tried it and it worked. It's been Love two that. years now mm. and we haven't been this zen. I mean, like things are still a bit chaotic here and there, but like we have processed. Yeah. We have a sauna. I'm uh-huh. not on it, but we have uh-huh. a sauna. <laughs> I love that. Um, I mean, I think it's really important for people, especially creatives, to, you know, to be able to go when it does get chaotic and, you know, on the edge of burnout to sit down and go, what's, you know, what, what's, what aren't I good at and who can I get to help? build up and not try to keep juggling because it'll end up falling to pieces and I guess I want to I want to add to that that like just ask people that you think can help you because sometimes you already know what the solution is you just need someone to Mm. tell you that like with hiring um um a a managerial a managerial role um I went on a two hours walk with my friend Mike who wrote the future of fungi mm. and he he was um, he's really good at business and he's like look like I think this person is your best bet just go for it I'm like mm. okay yeah and I'm like, I knew that but yeah okay. yeah and I think it's not <laughs> yeah. as often you know we think oh that's a really big deal but doing it incrementally when it, the pain point gets too much that you're like now is the time to hire because and figure it yet yeah, and doing the maths and getting you know things in place and you realize it's not as scary and also the work it takes to hire someone and you know offload some of the work is going to is the only way forward but then like i had this conversation with another friend uh, last week about he is about to set up his business and he was so organized about the mall and I kind of questioned him like do you actually know what's going to happen mm. like going back to your point like maybe you don't know what's going to happen with your business and don't mm. like plan too much like yeah. plan, for the, plan for the essentials but don't you know mm. don't don't hire too quickly don't mm. grow too quickly feel it out because the thing is like yeah. I think we forgot that um time is actually slower than we thought like mm. five years is kind of nothing Mm. I mean, is that scary to say that? Yeah, no, it's so accurate. I love that. And really good advice of, yeah, you never know what's around the corner. And I think also personally, you just go, well, you might plan for all this stuff and get a year into it and go, oh, actually, that's not what I want to be focusing on. And, you know, this op- this door just opened and so I'm going to pivot that way. So I love that as yeah. advice. Or COVID happened. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, Question around that, because I know you mentioned before we started this chat around (laughs) talking about pricing. Um, What is, I guess, uh, obviously that scaling and that growing and going from, you know, having relationships where you do one book a year, kind of, you know, then people start to come on. How did you go about, you know, um, growing, uh, whether it was at your price point or, you know, managing how many clients you needed in order to hire and to scale because I know for a lot of creatives and artists it can you know that understanding pricing then and you know going from almost a freelancer to a company is probably one of the biggest hurdles of you know being able to sit in front of a client and pitch yourself at what you're worth so that you can run a company and pay wages and you know all those things what's your advice Um, around that my advice is to understand the industry. Like, say, um, at the moment, we're dabbling in publishing, but also we're doing um, brands for a few um, companies. And I think um, it's a tough one because if you surface an industry, for example, we're surfacing publishing, we, we are kind of driven by their standards. Mm-hmm. And if we ask for something outside the standard, which we think what, you know, what we value, it doesn't always work because it doesn't work in that model. And, um, and then you have to make it work. And then like, it becomes like, okay, so if that job means this much money, how many jobs do I have to do to cover expenses? It's quite simple, but then I guess it's very hard to progress in terms of like, you know, um, growing your value. Um, same with branding, actually. Um, 
there are certain standards in the industry of, you know, how much would brand cost. And, you know, again, if you price yourself out of it, it then, you know, it, it, it's up to you. But then as you said before, like, how do you, how do you convince someone that you are of that value? It's up to you. And I think, um, if you have something that nobody has or like, um, how to say it? Like if, if somehow you make the work yourself or like, you know, you're still dabbling in that industry, but you create your own ecosystem. That's when I think you can kind of like start um, setting your own price. And we, we're still not there yet, but that's kind of like what my reason feel like recent realization. I've realized that, but like, um, as a business, the more you can kind of um, be like, the more you can offer within an industry, the more you can kind of like set your own mm. value, I think. Like um, as in doing it all in-house from like illustrations to photography. And- yeah, or, or kind of like think outside the box and not feeling like you have to follow the rules. I mean, you might become unpopular doing that, but, you know, who cares? <laughs> mm. Yeah, which also yeah. brings yeah. me to my next question is um, how do you go about managing like a client brief and expectation. I think you mentioned this before with Penguin, but, you know, whether you have the same issue working for yourself now, a client brief and expectation, and then also being like, but creatively we could do this. And, you know, whether that's brief and, (laughs) you know, brief timeline budget versus like the creative dream, what's your kind of advice there for like managing that, you know, different um, expectations? Yeah. Yeah, that that's a funny one because um we we got quite lucky that um Kate Pollard, the the UK publisher that championed our studio was quite similar in that wavelength. So like a lot of um books that we've done for her have always pushed boundaries in terms of design. But then of course not everyone is like that. And whenever mm-hmm. we present something, um we always we always fulfill that expectation and we always push it um you know one step or two steps ahead and see how they feel mm. if they're not ready they're not ready mm-hmm. what are you gonna do and um <laughs> you can't but like the funny thing is like um as soon as people see something outside the boundaries work mm. then that becomes the new normal mm-hmm. so that's what we've been and and that that happened with our studio like um when we started um working for the UK we did a lot of like really beautifully illustrated covers and like and books and all that stuff and that wouldn't I mean there were some in the market but it wasn't the norm and mm. we started like um taking inspiration you know from Mitzi's cutouts and like just basically applying art looks into these books mm. and it worked they sold heaps because they're really pretty mm. and then suddenly like our briefs became better they mm-hmm. came and they're like, we like your work on this. What can you do? And like, sometimes they just want us to blatantly copy our own work. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, we can't do that. But like, mm-hmm. so in a way, like you, you can change the market, mm-hmm. but you have to also certain that it works financially mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it's also business. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's really true because I think it's about, um, People don't know what they want most of the time, right? Especially, you know, if they're not from a design creative background and they're like, they need, you know, that's why they're hiring you. So like, I think I really love that as advice to be like, yeah, you know, push it two steps beyond what you think they want. And then they can always peel back to, you know, what, what they want, if they want to play it what safe, they want. <laughs> but, you know, but then, yeah, it's because if you, ha- and I, the other advice that I often give to artists and creatives is like, yeah, doing the work before kind of getting paid for it because you've also got to stay true to like as artists and creatives you're set yeah you're creating the trends you've got to keep pushing the boundaries otherwise things just keep looking the same and people you know they don't evolve so like yeah I love that as being willing to like yeah put something out there that you know might be a little bit edgy but it allows to you know ways to change the market and sometimes um when you look at it from a financial perspective, maybe it didn't make sense. Like Pamela's always like on our ears. There is for two. Why did you do three? I'm like, because I have 
to. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make sense. Your turn is valuable. <laughs> you know, it's good to have that person to remind you that it's still a business at the end mm. of the day and that my responsibility is not just making good work, but now it's, you know, it's about mm. keeping the business alive and and the more that you yeah you push that boundary and get those clients who are willing to do that that you know that's doing the work and then allowing that to be your marketing strategy mm. yes secretly yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. a final question well second to last but the I think there was something really cool about your story that you've mentioned a few times is, you know, the people that you've met and the people who have championed your work and those relationships. Do you, Are you still pitching yourself for work? Are you still going in and, you know, trying to keep expanding into new areas and, and be known in new ways or, you know, and maybe advice for people? It sounds to me as if like that networking and relationships and, you know, pitching things outside of the box has been really pivotal to, you know, carving out your space in the market. Um, yeah, would you say that's been, you know, a part of your success It's the relationships you've had? A hundred percent. And I want to say third time lucky. We actually haven't done any cooking since we started the business. We have been so busy that jobs have kept coming in. Sometimes, you know, like, yes, maybe some jobs, um, like, it's kind of like when you're swimming in the ocean and you're like, ah, maybe I'm about to drown, so I'll just have to take all those jobs. Um, but, like, I have to say that is not one job that hasn't led us to where we wanted to be. I think um, I think it's really good to set and Like, people say I manifest a lot because I just – I'm. I'm I'm a glass bowl. Like mm-hmm. everyone knows what I'm thinking, and mm-hmm. my peers really like they know what I'm, what's in this head, and they. That's how I I think help kind of happens. Like um, I do have a network of trusted creatives, and it's not even like a club or anything, but it's like my one-on-one relationship. For example, um, my one of my best friends is Millie Dentist Ramesses, and we're mm-hmm. not like we don't practice the same thing, but we. Run, we both run businesses and like our catch-ups would all yeah you know would be about dating and life and all that stuff but also would be like oh my business is going through this what do I do like I don't know let's get another cup of wine but um yeah. also every Friday I um I currently walk with Germaine from SECO Studios also a you know design studio about the same age um and I have a lot of um luckily have a lot of mentors um when I as it I think the mentors and friends, because like, you know, sometimes the mm. boundaries blurred, but that are in the older generation as well, who have seen and or been through what I'm going through mm. in a different time. And they have a lot of nuggets. Um, mm. And I also have the younger friends as well, because I need to know what's happening mm-hmm. in that world as well. And, and I keep saying like intergenerational communication, I think is important if mm. you want to you know, be challenged, I guess, mm. like all the time and not yeah. be stuck in your own time frame as well. I love yeah, that. So, yeah, just yeah. people I, 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 I love, adore and respect dearly. Yeah, I love that. It's, I really like that intergenerational and, yeah, putting yourself in environments and conversations to be challenged. And, you know, I think we forget to do that sometimes, especially the older we get it's easy to just kind of stick to the people who are going <laughs> to just keep affirming you so you don't have to change. <laughs> and and can I can I say this really out loud? Yeah. Don't forget that your algorithm is a bubble. Mm. <laughs> and then like, you know, if you stuck to your own algorithm, you're not going to see yeah. what's outside it. And yeah, like, I mean, I love my bubble, but sometimes, you know, to kind of zoom out and see what else is happening and to yeah. see the other, you know, way of seeing, I guess, mm, will yeah. be beneficial and I think it makes you a richer person. Mm, yeah, I love that, especially if you're in that design space and your job is to keep pushing the boundaries and not doing more of the same. Um, and I know so many amazing insights and advice. Thank you for being so generous. Uh, what would you say is your number one tip for someone looking to maybe go out on their own as a as a designer or maybe they're in the space and yeah, looking to 
keep it alive and not give up on their dream? Just do it. Don't like don't be scared of failures because it will happen anyway. It will happen whatever you know decision you make. It's important to just do it and like find your people. Um, if you're young, find a good space where you can learn a lot. If you're midweight, um, just try and do your own thing because you might not like it. And if you don't like it, you know, then find other people um, to fulfill your day-to-day. And I also want to say um, a job would not fulfill everything. Mm. So don't put too much pressure on it as well. Like, and just listen to yourself in, in mm. a way because, you're so, you know, you know what you need and don't, don't let others tell you what you need. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. So many awesome insights and congratulations on everything. I feel like we could have kept going for another hour, but um, respect so of your time. <laughs> and we'll have to do a follow-up. But um, thanks so much for being on the show, Evie. Lovely to finally catch up. No, thanks for having me, Kate. Pleasure.